Hey, you're not following me, are you? This week's episode is with one of the few teachers I've had twice in high school. One of my all-time favorite teachers, and I think someone who, while I had her, I felt like I was having college professor. Given her background and her 20-year career in development work, got her PhD in economics. She's lived in China, Pakistan. She is a global woman, and I remember in her classes specifically, we had to do this thing where you had to memorize where all the countries in the world were on a map, which wasn't the most enjoyable thing at the time, but is something I'm not going to forget, and I'm going to attach to this person, and, and that person's Kirsten Russell. It was so much fun chatting with her, and she had a lot of interesting stuff to share. Anyway, yeah, here we go. Yes. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing all right. Hanging in there. This is Wally, by the way. He's the best hey, Wally. that I could use. Yeah. All right, Wally. I can, wait, wait, wait. I can't quite see all of him. He has a uh, fabulous face. Yeah. He's a he's a Shih Tzu mix with a with a Brussels Griffin. Okay, go down. Go down, sir. Where are you these days? I am working at Phillips Exeter. Um, have, this is when did we last talk? <laughs> That's a good question. I think we last talked when I was peddling a donation from you for my uh, my short film that I did almost three years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I was still in Switzerland when we last talked. Um, so I left Switzerland last year because um, my dad is failing and sort of came back to spend some time with him. And mm. it was serendipitous that Phillips Exeter was looking for a history teacher at the same time. So here I am and it's 20 minutes from my family's farm. And where's the farm? Uh, in Nottingham. Okay. Yeah, so southeastern part of New Hampshire. Okay. Mm. And where are you? Uh, currently I'm in North Carolina for the week. My uh, dad got a new job um, and my folks are gonna be moving to North Carolina this summer. Uh, and I'm just here for the week hanging out keeping my dad company while he works and hanging out with my dog. It's really beautiful out here. Uh, it's like rural North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Definitely not what, you know, not like a Newton, not at all. <laughs> they didn't vote for the, the people who voted for, you know, in Newton, they didn't vote for the same folks. Um, but yeah, I graduated from, I graduated from college a year and a half ago. Um, and my plan was to be moving out to Los Angeles a year ago or so, but that's been on, pause for obvious reasons um yep. so uh now i'm just kind of hanging around writing doing this podcast thing and trying to figure out the next move um which is becoming only you know blurrier and blurrier the more time i spend at home <laughs> in isolation and, and whatnot but um it seems like things are somewhat on the mend or are moving in that direction yeah. yeah. Today actually is a huge change here at Exeter in that students are coming into the classroom today. Um, so we've put plexiglass shields around the Harkness tables um, so that each student kind of sits in a plexiglass carol. They're still masked and wow. not all of our students are on campus. So we have a kendo camera in the middle of the table that sort of rolls around and picks up whoever's speaking and then projects it to students that are you know, at home on Zoom. 
Wow, it sounds like a broadcast almost with this little. <laughs> wow. And is this going to be the, uh, has this been like the first week back in person? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So students, wow. they were here on the, in the fall, but they had the option all year. They've had the option of they could stay remote and stay home. Um, or they could come to campus in the fall. They were able to, but we still did Zoom classes. They were in their dormitories, um, Zooming from their dormitories. But the advantage of that was they were at least on campus and had some of the uh, you know, advantages of being on campus, both social and academic, more the social side of it. Yeah, so you're teaching with a mask, are you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. I can't imagine, like teachers in general, I feel like are a special breed of human. And then now during the pandemic, that's, <laughs> yeah, it takes, it takes a certain person to, to teach. Um, Into, but I mean, it's fun to see, you know, cause my window actually looks out over one of the main entrances into this, the, the academy building. And just seeing the kids walk up the stairs and come in again, it's just like, ah, I don't know, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long have you been teaching for now? Mm -hmm. Well, let me see. 16 years, 16 years. Mm. And what, what were you doing before that? So before that was development work. Oh, that was no, a 20 year career of doing research. And because um, if you remember, I was trained in economics, um, PhDs in economics and was doing food policy work mostly. Mm -hmm. um, government of Pakistan, government of China, to some extent in Kenya, um, but mostly through the university, mm -hmm. which is why we were in Boston. Um, but the organization that I was working for um, was at that time, um, was the Harvard Institute for International Development. And it, devolved, it um, broke apart in 98, I think. Mm -hmm. Around 98, it was gone by 2000. And at that point in time, we kind of all just dispersed to other institutions around Boston or, um, or even still within the university, um, still within Harvard. And I ended up working for a group called the Global Equity Initiative and did some stuff for them for a while. But um, it was at that point in time that my kids were you know, mid school, middle school kind of thing. And I don't know if you remember this story, but my middle son was one of those kids that was really, really smart and really, really bad at school. Mm. Um, sort of that oh, question of- worst nightmare. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are they good? Or it's kind of teetering the line. <laughs> it was the question of, you know, why can a kid who's so intellectually engaged not thrive in school? Um, mm. So I ended up spending more and more time in the schools and realized I was having more fun in the school than I was doing running econometric regressions. So, so I was in my forties when I transitioned, but, and now I am at the point of retirement. I announced my retirement. So I'm going to retire next May. Wow. Congrats. That's, Thank you. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. My husband retired from, cause what took us to Geneva was his work. Um, so he was at the world health organization um, and he retired in September. So so he's gonna uh, hang around with me for one year. Sounds like he was- Say it, it again? Must have been an interesting time for him on his way out with all that's happened. It seemed like they gave him a, a run for his money, you know, really probably used him till his last days. Oh my goodness, yeah. 
<laughs> wow. So what are your, do you have any plans for retirement? Uh, anything that you've been meaning to do or? Plans. Lots of plans. Um, the first part of it is moving. We're probably going to move to Montana. Uh, oh, wow. But I'm actually really of mixed mind about that, of um, living in Switzerland, we both realized that we love being in the mountains and we love hiking. Um, I've always known that I love to ski, but skiing, um, you know, in New England is a different breed than skiing in other parts of the world. Mm. So the appeal of the geography of Montana is real, but at the same time, our three kids are all East Coast. So mm. moving away from them again is, I don't know. We'll see what, ask me a year from now and see where we're at. Mm, we'll do, we'll do. <laughs> we've actually done. This summer we planned to go to Montana and sort of look at some of the communities. Years ago, like truly years ago, more than like 45 years ago, um, my husband worked when he was in college, he worked as a firefighter to earn tuition for school. Um, and so he lived in Montana and Idaho border fighting fires. Uh, so he has this sort of romantic memory of what Montana was at that point in time. Yeah. So part of the quest for this summer is to go out and see if that's, how much has it changed? Has it changed so much that it's no longer a comfortable environment or is it still someplace that he wants to be? Mm. Yeah, so. Montana seems like one of those, I don't know, that's, I mean, I know Phil Jackson lives in Montana, the, you know, former coach of the Bulls and the Lakers, who's like, you know, um, yeah, that doesn't seem like a, a bad place to end up, not at all. Um, I'm curious, what do you, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm sort of in this process of like re looking inward, I guess, for, to put it, you know, succinctly-ish. Um, and I'm just curious, what, if anything, do you remember about having me as a student? Because I remember for whatever reason, I don't know if this is just how the, you were with students, but I felt like you had, you know, took a liking to me and um, felt like, uh, um, I don't know, that you, the impression that I got as a student of yours was like, oh, wow, we get to have like a college professor here at Newton South. Like, that's how I felt with your background and having us read, you know, Fareed Zakaria's book in the summer going into our year that I felt like I was reading, you know, Chinese or something. I didn't know what any of it really meant about globalization. But you really put us, you know, pushed us in, in some ways to think. And um, but I'm curious, what if anything do you remember about me other than that I was probably very quiet? That's interesting. I don't remember you as being quiet. I mean, you were quiet, but sometimes when I say a student is quiet, it's uh, sometimes it can kind of be uh, a sense that the student is insecure, or doesn't feel like they belong, and you always felt to me like you belonged and that you were invested. Um, in what we were doing in class. Um, that said, if you were to ask me, what is the thing I remember about Ben is the, I mean, if something comes to mind immediately. So I'll share that with you. It's just this sense of incredibly kind person. Um, and no, there's, and, and I remember that quite vividly. I can actually remember one conversation. I don't know if you remember this, but I can remember sitting in the classroom and there was a wicker couch in there and we were talking about school and we were talking about your decision about BU versus UMass and different, yeah. um, I don't know if you remember that conversation, but it was a very mature conversation on your part about the realities of what's involved in making those kinds of decisions. 
and just being impressed that there was a mature kindness in how you looked at life. Mm. So I don't know if that. I don't remember that conversation. Okay. (laughs) But I remember that dilemma. Yeah, certainly. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, Depending on who I speak with, they'll, you know, clearly tell me something else. I, I'm 24 now and I've split half my life growing up in uh, Orange County in Southern California. And then in seventh grade, I moved to Newton where sort of my personality shifted entirely from in California. I was, you know, playing roller hockey, captain of the team, had a girlfriend and then moved to Newton and was, you know, just a sort of hid in my shell and was just sort of trying to get by and taking school. Like it was a full-time job for whatever reason and only putting my energy into that. Um, so yeah, interesting to consider one's development. Um, what, why do you think it, why do you think it cha- impacted that such a significant change? Why do you think that move had such an impact? I think I was probably just clinging on to the life I had before too much and comparing anything that I had in front of me to the comfortability of growing up in, in uh, where I did in Irvine, which is like, a, it's a planned city from the seventies basically like a video game it feels like it's not real <laughs> they call it the bubble um, but I, in many ways I'm glad to have made it out um, but I think it would have been that more than anything else yeah and then struggling to fit in and realizing that you know I was a middle schooler and everyone else was you know, struggling probably just as much or if not more in, in different ways um, but you don't know that then no yeah right and even if somebody said it to you it doesn't yeah, I, w- I wouldn't. Any easier. Yeah, yeah. But people would always say, you're from California. You're the most pale, you know, Jewish looking kid there is. So I, I've always felt in between worlds. Um, uh, but yeah, that's interesting. I appreciate that. When, when people ask you now where you're like, you know, the where you're from, what's your instinctive response? Um, it's always to pause and hesitate like I'm doing now because... I mean, at this point, yeah, I'd probably say I'm from Massachusetts, um, depending on who I speak with, because I've told people in the past, I've said, you know, well, I'm originally from Orange County, but then I moved to so-and-so, and they're like, yeah, yeah, Cali kid, like, whatever. So, um, but I think that's the thing that I'm beginning to sort of connect the dots on with my parents having been born and raised in Israel. I think there's something about the first generation experience that at least for me, hasn't made me tethered to any one specific place, um, which in many ways is, I think, freeing and also confusing for identity reasons. Cause I'm not quite Israeli. I'm not quite from, you know, I've moved a few times. So, um, but I think it helps with, you know, connectivity. And um, I think I maybe grew up faster uh, because of that. Um, But yet interesting that, you know, as a, as a young adult, your inclination is to head back towards California. Um, And is that just because it's, because it's California or because of what you're interested in professionally? I think because what I've, what I've been interested in professionally. um, But I think that's beginning to change. Uh, For some reason, I'm at this point, like if, if you ask me, like, it's always been hard for me to see myself in the future, you know, to envision a means to an end or, uh, I don't know, just the concept of growing up is, is a difficult one at times to 
to yourself growing up. But for me lately, I find myself interested in the field of psychology more. I think partly because a lot of what is going on in the world in the past year now. Um, and for some reason, I feel like it might, it suits my, I mean, I'm already an old Jewish man, so I figured <laughs> psychology wouldn't. So that's where I'm moving towards as of now, but you ask me tomorrow and I'll, you know, probably tell you something different, which drives my parents, you know, mad. I was just having, I've been texting with my daughter who's sitting in a full day Zoom class and going back and forth of, you know, the same thing of, you know, questioning what she's doing and who she is and, and, the, and she's 29 this year. So you know, the, um, to some extent, you got to hope that we never stop questioning who we are and who we want to be today, mm. tomorrow. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, same question of what you asked me of what does retirement mean? You know, like, who am I in retirement? You know, it's still, you know, we're always making ourselves up of what aspects of our, us do we emphasize? You know, I almost wonder the idea of psychology and comedy, you got to hope that they're, that they could also be connected. You know? Yeah, yeah. I feel like they, they, they probably are in some way that you know maybe looking back on you know years from now i'll be able to connect the dots even more mm. and i'll probably wonder oh it's like it would probably be really hard for me to listen to this in the future <laughs> um, <laughs> but what what did you um where did you go to school and what did you study and i'm curious what sort of plan did you have oh, i had a very college? different plan yeah so you know sort of an interesting thing you know that so my plan now much younger than you um I intentionally chose the college that I went to because at that point in time, long time ago, where, where, what are we looking at? When I was making the decision, President Carter was in office. And so President Carter sort of finalizes this push for the United States and China to have um, trade agreements and um, political relations. So I was studying Chinese and at that point in time, the only place in the United States that if you wanted to do your junior year abroad and you wanted to go to mainland China, everybody else went to Taiwan. Mm. But Wellesley College sent their students to mainland China. Mm. And they had a strong economics program. So, and what I, you know, all of, what was I? I was a year young in my class. So I was all of 17 and I was sure that I wanted to study economics and, and Chinese and that I wanted to go when my, my junior year, which I did end up doing. Um, I was a double major in the two. Um, and I went to Wellesley um, and spent. Um, wow. Yep. And you did yep. the whole year there? What's that? You did the whole year there? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. Yeah. So that was, that was 19, my junior year was 1983. Um, yeah, so I spent it. And then I, I actually only came back for a very short period of time back to the US that to finish up the requirements that I needed in order to graduate. And then I immediately went back to China and I stayed there until 1987. What did you like about living in China? Um, lots of things. Uh, at that point in time, it, it was changing really rapidly, so rapidly that, you know, it didn't take a historical perspective to see how fast the change was. You could see it, in, in, you know, in the streets of, you know, from, once within one six month period, it would be, you know, you'd go to um, 
Xu Jiazhuang and there'd be no taxis. And six months later, and there were 10 taxis. Um, you would you know, have availability of different products of the ability to do um, work on light industry for foreigners to get involved on light industry products. So the company, when I, when I went back, I worked for a company called um, Cyrus Eaton World Trade. And the company was set up to sort of be a middle person, to be a financer of um, what were called joint venture programs, joint ventures that were between one large organization, not a government and the Chinese government. Um, mm. So like when General Motors first went to China, it was through a joint venture and that was the mechanism in the early eighties. Um, and even that changed quite rapidly as far as how you could do, foreigners could do business in China. But it was really, you know, it was a fast changing social, political and economic environment who wouldn't want to be there. Yeah. And the food was great, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and when I say the food was great, interestingly, you know, like when I was a, when I was a student, um, things, people were poor, uh, and, you know, you ate in the cafeteria and it was, it was cabbage and rice and the rice had stones in it of, but um, it never, because everybody was in the same situation, it never felt like it wasn't a good thing. Mm. So, um, no, the eighties were a cool time to be in China. Mm. So, um, and I fully intended to go back. Um, I came back to the U.S. to start graduate, uh, my graduate training. And I was at, um, did my graduate training at Cornell and AggieCon. And I was um, planning on writing a, so I did agricultural development. That was sort of the specialty that I was in. And the thesis that I wanted to write was looking at how rapidly people's incomes were changing and the demand for meat products were changing and how was that impacting the price of grain. So were there poor people that couldn't afford basic grain because rich people were demanding it for the pigs and production of pigs, wow. um, which we see in other developing countries and the data were there. So there was all, there were all kinds of data that were, hold on a second. Do you need to come in here? I'm talking to a student. I can shift over there. Do you need to get here? Yeah. Yep. I can move. So they're working on. Uh, on the go working on setting up the room for the students to come in. So I'm gonna to talk to you with my mask on. <laughs> what kind of mask do you have there? It's kind of stylish. What's that? What's that kind of a stylish mask you got there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I'm telling you way too much of the story, but the story was effectively what ended up happening was Tiananmen happened. Um, right when, and I was literally on an airplane on my way to China to work on my dissertation when Tiananmen happened and they brought us down in Chicago and said you know the tanks have moved into you can get as far as the airport but you can't go any further okay all right um but you can't go any further and I'm like okay I know what that airport looks like I've been in that airport a lot mm. so I came back to Harvard and talked to my advisor and he's like okay Plan B, what are we going to do? Um, so we did a big shift at that point in time in that um, John, my husband, had made some plans to go to Pakistan. So my advisor and I were like, okay, let's look at 
Pakistan. And I ended up, you know, doing a dissertation that was based in Pakistan. And I didn't go back to China until Newton when I took a group of kids. Wow. Uh, wow. So it was a long time. So the food policy work that I ended up doing after that was all, you know, based in Pakistan and then shifted to, so then it became much more because I never was in a position of, you know, wanting to be uh, sort of driving a PI, being a principal investigator or something. I was always, you know, and at that point I was still fairly young. I was in my late twenties, early thirties doing research. Um, so it was more what other people's research agendas were. So, but long story, did it answer your question? <laughs> I don't even remember what the question was. What sort of, what, how did your work in China help you in, uh, in Pakistan? And what sort of things did you learn in Pakistan uh, from, from, from living there? Um, well, I think one certainly, I guess the key thing is to learn how to live outside of your bubble mm. and to learn how to live um, with an eye that's open and appreciative to other, you know, that other is fun, not scary or, uh, yeah, you know, whatever comes along, let's check it out and see, you know, mm. do I like spicy food or, you know, <laughs> you know, it all comes back to food. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it's, it's that way in my household too. <laughs> you know, the traveling of just, seeing places that are new and different and being willing to, you know, jump into the, the back of a ridiculously funkily decorated truck in Pakistan that was happened to be going from, from Rawalpindi up to Peshawar on the border of Afghanistan. It's like, you know, let's go. Um, so, you know, being willing to trust in people to take those chances that, you know, that are memorable. Mm -hmm. How long did you live there for? In Three years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. no. no. Three years and two children. They were so born in Pakistan? Our first, our first two children were born in Pakistan. Yeah. Oh, wow. So do they have a passport from there? They don't. You know, when we moved, um, what was that, 1994? 95, 95, when we moved, it was, we were leaving because um, USAID, um, the US government had said they would no longer fund development projects. Um, so USAID was pulling out of Pakistan. They were no longer funding. There was a um, piece of legislature that went through um, Congress that said, if a nation was developing a nuclear bomb, then we would not fund development, mm. send development money to nations that were um, expanding nuclear options. So that was, Pakistan was one of those countries that lost their development money because of that. So USAID was closing up shop and we were leaving when we were one of the last ones to leave. And as we're leaving, we went to the, the local government and said, you know, we'd like passports for our two children. And they're like, you're a USAID official. You're leaving the country. You know, there's no more development money here. What do you want passports? And, and you're US citizens. Why do you want passports? <laughs> So the, the assumption that there was something um, less than um, positive and because it was clearly beginning to become a bureaucratic hassle, we never pursued it. 
much to my middle son's chagrin, he very much wants a Pakistan passport. You know, he's 28 now and he's like, where's my passport? (laughs) Why does he want it? Well, you know, interesting, he is an Arabic speaker. Um, He ended up um, focusing on Arabic as in in his undergraduate training. Um, He's in the army and is doing work focusing on the, that area of the, um, the, the sort of from the Middle East and eastward. Um, so Wait, he's actually, in the Army, you said? He's in the U.S. Army. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which has taken me a long time to wrap my head around. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if mothers welcome that, you know, when well, their sons... Well, not this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it took, it needed some convincing? Yeah. So. But you must have dual citizenship, don't you? Yeah, I do with Israel, yeah. And I have, you know, it's interesting to do the comparison game. And, you know, last time I was in Israel was in December of 2018. Uh, my grandmother turned 80 and um, I went just with my mom and uh, visited, I went with my aunt, uncle and cousins to visit one of my cousins who was on a uh, army base in the desert in Israel. And he was doing some underground you know, operative stuff with special forces, you know, learning Arabic. And here I was, you know, as a student. So, and, you know, we were hanging out, eating schnitzels, looking out at the, you know, vastness of the desert. It was a good time. Yeah. Um, I always think about, you know, how would my life be different if I'd grown up in Israel? And it would mm-hmm. be, it would be totally different. I yeah. take it. Yeah. I think uh, there's uh, an aggressiveness to being Israeli that I, wish I had in many cases that my dad has and oftentimes when he's on the road um but yeah it's it's um and and all my cousins have been in you know pretty heavy duty stuff in in the military so um but there you don't quite have a choice Um, right so but you also um I mean it used to be that um people that held even if you held dual citizenship that the opportunity to serve the two years was open to dual citizenships as well. Have you thought about doing it or uh, do health, does your health restrict that as well? It, it probably does. Uh, if I were doing anything, I'd probably be behind a desk, but that's not something I've ever really considered. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess it, I'm too American and also it would totally like, it, it probably wouldn't interest me and my dad would just you know, be totally disappointed because <laughs> he's like, you know, we moved to the States for, so you wouldn't have to do that stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's interesting how people view it. So, you know, people are on all sides of the spectrum with that because there's some, you know, military families where it's sort of, you know, there's implicit, I feel uh, pressure to sort of be a certain rank and whatnot. And mm-hmm. I get the impression that that's the case in this country and, you know, like people predominantly from the Midwest and the South, uh, so it must have come as a surprise for you to hear that your son wanted to. Well, you know, the reason he wanted to do it was twofold. Um, one, he's interested in security studies um, and interested in, instead of, you know, he's very much involved in the, um, that world of um, the intelligence aspect of it. But the bigger piece for him as a young person was this question of why is it that it is only... Um, individuals from the center of the country or individuals, low-income individuals that serve in the army. It's kind of like you do it because you don't have other options. 
and for him, it was, um, it started out as a social justice thing of everybody should have to serve. Mm. And he was still very much of the belief that everybody should have to serve. Wow. You know, his undergraduate thesis was in part was about around this question of um, national service and that it doesn't necessarily have to be military like in Israel, you know, there are other forms of national service. Um, so, you know, there is that, that sense of it. And, and like, you know, intellectually, I understand that and I respect that. It's still that mom gut response of, yeah, but not my son, which, you know, I'm embarrassed to admit, but it's real, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. How many kids do you have, by the way? And, and how old are Three, yeah. So those are the older two. And then my youngest one is just a bit older than you. Um, he's 25 and he is a um, doctor uh, physical therapy and he's um, he's in Boston he's at a mass general um, on their ortho visit physical therapy team mm. wow. so, yeah he just graduated recently um, and he did the sort of the combined um, intensive program at BU that you do your undergraduate and your um, clinical training all together. Wow, wow. So he was through. what he wanted quite early on then. What's that? Well, yeah. So, yeah. So he was through in six years or seven years? Seven. I don't remember. But yeah, lives in Boston. So he's in Boston. Um, my daughter's in Portland. And the son who's in the Army right now is based at um, the University of Mississippi doing it, some training at University of Mississippi. Mm. Wow. And he's the only one who's married. Mm. Have you been able to visit your kids uh, in the past year? Um, they've been here a fair bit because um, the situation that we have at our family's farm, there are um, multiple dwellings. And so, you know, people could live, could come and stay and be in their own sort of pod, if you will, in sort of their own space. And then we could be, we could spend time outside. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I actually have been able to see them a fair bit, mm -hmm. so, which is really fortunate because I think, you know, you being able to spend time with your dad, you know, sort of recognizing that that isn't the case for a lot of, a lot of people that are, uh, if you're separate, you have to stay separate. I'm probably just thinking too much about my future to appreciate, you know, what, what's going on now. Right. But that's, you know, maybe a normal thing for someone trying to figure this shit out. Um, so I have, I'm going to ask, and you can just tell me, it's, I always wonder about your health and you look healthy, you look good. How are you? Yeah, I appreciate you asking. Um, good. I'm still in remission. Uh, I, um, yeah, all in all feel good. I, you know, um, I think lately mentally has been the biggest toll, but physically I'm still alive and uh, not long ago I had another colonoscopy to see what was going in there because I have Crohn's as well. So uh, I've had five colonoscopies. I, I really am waiting for my AARP card, really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's taking so long. Maybe they have the wrong address. But I'm glad that I'm healthy and um, that's everything. You know, I think that especially I'm appreciating lately, I feel as though my family has gotten a heck of a lot closer because mm -hmm. of all this. Um, so very thankful in that regard. And um, yeah, it just, yeah, when is it going to end sort of thing? And, and how are other people doing? How are they really doing? 
because mm-hmm. all I can all that can happen is this, but there's nothing that you know beats being in person and feeling mm-hmm. that energy. Yeah. You're good. So that yeah, my health is good. How about you and, and your loved ones? Everybody's been, you know, been very good of, you know, with the COVID stuff. Um, you know, the reason I came back is um, you know, with my dad not being well was simply people get people become less well as they get old and he's quite elderly and he gets confused. Um, but nothing that's um, and actually interestingly, he was a very much an alpha male um, sort of go-getter as a professional during his professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, and as he has sort of, it's some f- form of dementia. They have said it's not Alzheimer's because sometimes he remembers things, sometimes he doesn't more than anything, he kind of just gets confused. Mm-hmm. Um, but with various forms of dementia, people can have various um, sort of personality responses to it. And often people become more, more aggressive. And we were all just sort of sitting, waiting, going, oh my Lord, if he becomes more aggressive and more sort of this, what, what are we gonna do with that? Mm-hmm. And he's become this sweet old man. And we're all like, who, who is that guy? <laughs> Which, you know, he was always there, but with the sense of re- responsibility and pressure and sort of like, you know, that he needed to behave in a certain way and all of that, you know, disappears with dementia and, and sort of those filters are gone. And you're left with this sweet, lovely old man. So if nothing else, it's, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for the dementia, and I'm, but I'm so happy that he's here and I'm happy I get to spend time with him. And I'm really happy that it's actually fun to spend time with him. So. Yeah, I, I can feel that from you, definitely. You, yeah. you, you have siblings? I have an older sister. Okay. Um, and it works out well because um, she lives quite near the farm. And more than anything, when... They called me a couple of years ago and said, you know, dad has dementia. And if, if you want to spend time with him being the person that you remember, you need to come home. And that was kind of the message. It wasn't, we need help because she's actually an emergency room nurse. And so, you know, she's, um, do you ever see, you know, with your use in film and you probably have some old film knowledge. Did you ever see one flew over the cuckoo's nest? Do you know who nurse Cratchit is? Uh, not that one specifically, no, no. Okay. Well, it's a, the really scary nurse in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, her name was Nurse Cratchit. It's just and, like behind the counter administration. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, crack the whip nurse, that's my sister. <laughs> <laughs> so you come into an emergency room and she's like, boom, boom, boom. You're like, here's, this is what we're going to do. And she's, you know, got this. So, so like there really wasn't a need for me to be here as far as, you know, care. But it was a matter of, do you want to be, do you want to be around and do you want to engage? So, um, but then in the end, it turned out that it, there are sort of dealing with banks and lawyers and things like that, that's sort of defaulted to me and she takes care of the healthcare side. So, you know, and the two, between, so between the two of us, if anything, it's been good. Yeah, yeah. What do you do for fun these days? What have you taken up uh, anything because of the free time? Really because school hasn't stopped. So, you know, it's, um, and if anything, there are more challenges of what to, how to, how do we do this well? How do we, you know, engage students still in this kind of an environment? So, so there's a fair bit of work, but I mean, even around work, it was always also, you know, 
the fun of the material and the reading that goes along with the courses that I teach. So, you know, a lot of reading, um, but being outdoors of being able to hike, you know, I, I can't do that as much as in Switzerland. One of the great things was I walked to work. I, I lived in an area where I walked through vineyards. My mind's um, running already. Yeah. When you say that. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> so, you know, and I don't have that here, but <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, what do you teach now? Cause you taught me, I remember you taught me, uh, history 10th grade in, in, it was in, it was in global. Global. Yeah. So, so it's it was a comparative government. I remember you taught me. Yeah. So I'm still in the history department. Um, Exeter's history department is different in that it's not a, like everybody does. It's not, you know, this is ninth grade, 10th grade history. It's a variety of courses. Um, and at some point in the six years, you have to take, like, at some point in the four years, you have to take six credits and you can take any courses. So um, no surprise, well, this semester I'm teaching a course called Why Are Poor Nations Poor? Uh, so it's looking at developing countries and um, the economic structure of what keeps them that way or why did they, why did they, why are they like that? Um, and then I have a course in Russian history. Um, so that's what I'm teaching this term. Last term I taught a course in capitalism, um, capitalism and its critics. And my other course was a course in um, ancient African history, looking at um, sort of the African empires up to the point of colonialism. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. I feel like teaching a different thing in different semesters also mm -hmm. gets you to sort of sharpen your learning skills. And that sounds like an interesting challenge, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Are you seeing the? Are you seeing any sort of effect on mental health on your students? Um, or, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, there are a lot of students that are really struggling with this. Um, the sense of um, one, I think, it's scary for a lot of people. Uh, you know, how could this happen? What does this mean for long-term health? Um, yeah. And the, the isolation, I think, is hard for particularly, you know, I teach this term particularly, you know, I've only seniors and sort of being in that sort of, I'm not really a kid anymore, but I'm not yet an adult and but a, adulthood is looming. And is this, this isolation is, is, is scary when you think about what am I heading into? Mm -hmm. You know, and beginning to separate from your immediate family. So, and just being able to engage, you know, doing classes like this for many students, they're just not engaging. Mm. As opposed to if you're sitting around the table, you know, I'll show you this, you know, I've got this, this table where kids come in and they, there's 12, 12 chairs around the table you know, you really have to engage because you're physically on. Yeah, yeah. There's and that's absent for everybody. No, that stimulation is not there. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I think if I were in high school now, I'd probably weirdly enjoy not needing to be around people because that's the way I was in high school. Um, but yeah, everyone's managing this in their own way just as, you know, life works like that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, what sort of, I'm curious, you know, 
do you have the opportunity to reconnect with former students? Uh, is that something that people do? Uh, sort of Nearly as much as I would like. Um, you know, periodically I'll get sort of an odd email from a student uh, saying, you know, oh, this thing crossed my desk today and it reminded me of such and such and just shoot an email. Yeah. But, you know, I might get four or five of those a year kind of thing. So, um, I remember you, you, you were always, uh, you know, when you taught us, you made, I think more than any teacher that I've ever had, you sort of made note that like, hey, keep in touch. I'd love, you know, you're more than welcome to crash on my couch, wherever the hell I'm living in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, which I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in Switzerland, it was fun because I did have students take advantage of that. So yeah. I wish I had more, um, but I did have students take advantage of that. Um, nobody in your class, I don't think. It was more recent graduate students, students that, had, that I had had more recently. But um, I don't think it was anybody in, in your class did so. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame. It's a tricky thing, uh, that mm -hmm. dynamic, yeah. Yeah your schedule like today for the rest of the day so i have classes in all through the morning and then i have grade and, and we continue classes at night so i actually don't stop today until, this is going to be loud in a minute we actually don't stop to i don't stop today until night night so. until when sorry until nine o'clock <laughs> this might be our cue yeah <laughs> yeah are they in this room right now, banging away? Yeah. Okay. Well, you can. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's keep in touch. Do keep me updated of once you get into North Carolina and how it feels. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, this was fun. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. It's good yeah. to see you. Yeah. Might be well. My thanks again to Kirsten for her time and just for being an awesome person. If you've had her, consider reaching out because she strikes me as someone who would love to hear from you and would really uh, open her doors for you. So if you need a place to live and you're listening to this somehow, that could be your out. Um, otherwise, thanks for listening. This has been a lot of fun doing and there's just a couple more left. Take care. <laughs>